0: Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski.
1: Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, Nick Johnson, the co-founder at EGN Network, which is Asia's number one executive peer network and top 1% in the world Ironman athlete, he joins us to talk about executive loneliness. We talk about the struggles of executives with loneliness and mental health, the benefits of vulnerability both in a performance and health perspective, and how we've all turned pain into purpose. Just wanted to drop this in here. This is a trigger warning. We talk a bit about mental health, suicide, and addiction. So if you're struggling with thoughts of suicide, addiction, or mental illness, please reach out to a mental health professional or local helpline in your area We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders that turn their teams into happy high performers who crush their goals. And if you're interested in that, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com to learn more about our services in leadership, development, psychological safety, conflict management, burnout prevention, keynote speaking, and more. That's EliteHighPerformance.com, or you can send me an email, Rob at EliteHighPerformance.com as well. Everyone, thank you so much for listening, and here's the interview with Nick Johnson. We are live. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski, and as always, the yang to my yin. Out of Toronto, not wearing glasses Today. Susan Hobson. Susan, how are you?
2: I learned my lesson the hard way last time, didn't I? And oh yeah, that feedback is gold. So I left those ones to the side today. (laughs) I'm fabulous. I'm fired up. I am staring at the most gorgeous sunset it's like purple and pink and blue. And I just had to have that as a attitude of gratitude moment before we get this party started.
1: Well, you're lucky. I'm looking out my window. We've had snow literally every day since November 1st, and it's minus 20 degrees outside. So welcome to Edmonton, and hence why I'm moving to Costa Rica.
2: (laughs) And hence why we got to get warm on the inside with this interview, right?
1: That's right. And obviously, we have to start off with a quote. And I have one here from Azria Becker, who's hosting one of the groups that I'm in. And she says, from the void within, the wisdom emerges. And obviously, it resonates with both Susan and I, and, you know, from the some of the darkness, and what we talk about, and for me, my mental health, and it's going to transition beautifully into our guest today. Nick Johnson's here with us. He's the co-founder and managing director of EGN. He's the top, Singapore's Top 100 Entrepreneur 2021 winner, and he's top 1% in the world in Ironman. So he's got it all. Nick Johnson. Nick, how are you?
0: I'm great, Rob. Thank you so much for the warm invitation. And hi, Susan, as well. Lovely to be here.
1: We love to have you. And obviously, Nick, we're huge in athletics on this show. Susan was big in hockey. I was a big water polo player. So we want to start off here. Is Well, one is tell us a little bit about the Ironmans. And then also, what have you learned about leadership from Ironmans? Mm
2: -hmm. That's what I want to know.
0: Well, I think, you know an Ironman race, and for those who don't know, it's, uh, an I know kilometers, so you have to convert it to miles, but it's a a swim of 3.8 kilometers, it's 180 kilometer bike ride, and then you run a marathon at the end, but basically you have about 16 hours to do that, that's the cutoff time, 16, 16 and a half, depending on what race, so what I say, it's almost a simulation of a life, you know, because life also has its up and down, and you go through the pain, the glory, and so on, but most importantly, if we link this back to leadership, the closer you are to the finish line, the more pain you're going through, the more difficult it is, the closer you are to give up and the self doubt comes all over you, you know, and the emotions that are building up, and then you cross the finish line, and you made it, you know, that that is what I and I think that is what I just keep chasing, because you have that day when you're going through all these challenges. And afterwards, you're just so happy that you pushed through, you didn't give up on yourself, you hang in there.
2: Mm -hmm. I love this, right? This is really where you discover all that untapped potential, right? Is in the presence of that pain and that challenge and that adversity. So, of course, that's a perfect metaphor for life and for business. I mean, I know all of our leaders out there listening today can certainly relate to that. This last three years has felt a little bit like an Iron Man. I'm not going (laughs) to (laughs) lie. But before we get there, I just want you to plug our folks into a little bit more about yourself and the mission that you're on in the world as a leader today.
0: Right. So basically, I was born in Sweden, but I left 98 for Australia, which was as far away as I could from home. (laughs) I studied there played some golf over there, but then I realized I was too far away from home, so I looked at a map and had, uh, so where where can I go, which is halfway, and I ended up in Southeast Asia, and there I've been since 2004, and I've worked in leadership roles, uh, mainly in Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, and the last five years in Singapore, so I worked my way up, basically starting from an account executive up to managing director, leading quite big, working for big international firms and so on, with uh, running big teams in these markets. Uh, so that's my career journey. These days, my life is quite different. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur uh, for a couple of years where I'm running confidential peer groups for senior executives here in Singapore.
2: Ooh, what does that mean? Confidential peer groups for senior executives, for all, all of those people out there listening, including Mr. Winston, he wants to know, what does that exactly mean?
0: Well, what I learned, uh, Susan, from my career was that it can be quite lonely at the top, as they say. And if I'm looking back at my own career, you know, I I wish that I was a bit more vulnerable as a leader. I wish I had a safe place outside my workplace where I could discuss my challenges. Instead, I went home with the pressures. I kept them inside me. I felt well, I'm the boss, so I should be able to handle this. This is normal. This is leadership. Uh, But These days I know differently, and that's from running these peer groups. So what we do then is that we create groups with about 30, 35 executives uh, who meet in a confidential space without competitors. They sign a non-disclosure agreement. We have a moderator in these sessions and they are four hours, which means we allow to go deep. Everyone bring in the challenges they're facing in the work and we facilitate it to help them solve the problems they're going through.
2: And what are some of the biggest challenges that you see in those confidential spaces? And obviously, we don't need to reveal the names of any of the people that are challenged with these things. But I'm just curious, what have you calibrated or some of those biggest themes that leaders struggle with?
0: Well, I have a pretty good insight because I, I join plenty of them. We have more than 120 of them in Singapore this year. Wow. So I'm uh, almost daily in these sessions and I listen. But, so I really know what's going on out there. And of yeah. course... Uh, At this moment, the biggest challenge the leaders have is with recruitment and uh, staff retention and talent, but also how to connect with the younger generation, how to understand them and how to communicate. Uh, But otherwise, it's also a lot about uh, managing upwards, you know, putting parameters around yourself, managing your life and your boss. These are all the issues that, you know, they are facing and that compounds and create huge pressures if you are not sure how to manage this
1: sorry i had I to go on mute a little bit there <laughs> um but nick you talked a little bit about wanting to be more vulnerable when you are a leader mm-hmm. why
0: well i also if i'm looking back at my career i wasn't enough um should i say transparent or vulnerable i was trying to perhaps hide some of the things I had. And that was something that we were told, you know, I'm an expat as well, which means that I'm a foreigner working in these different countries, being the leader. And in one company I was working, we were leading hospitals and medical clinics all over Indonesia. There was over 1,000 local staff and a few of us were foreigners. So of course they're looking at you when you're showing up if you're driving a car they're coming with a bus and you know you have you have those differences already there from the beginning so you're trying to keep a little bit of a distance and you are even encouraged to not expose yourself too much and that is very difficult because these days i know that's what we need to do we need to not not to show off uh, the entitlements we have but we need to show that we're humans, that we also are not perfect. We need to show that we are, uh, you know, we make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes and, and really to create that safe, open culture. But everything I was told the whole time was to not go there. And that was why it was so painful to lead in that environment.
2: Mm-hmm. That's the, the piece I want you to plug our people into is the why. Why is it so important for us to? learn because I do believe coming off the heels of everything we've been taught all these years in leadership, right? In terms of what leadership is. Yeah. So why is that so important for us to learn how to show up in vulnerable ways as as a leader?
0: Well, if we don't show up in a vulnerable way, our team won't show up in a vulnerable way. And that means that we will have what you guys are talking about. Also, I've seen your videos about the toxic working environment and the culture. This is what will happen. And it starts with the leader. If the leader comes in and don't share and don't show that they are humans, the team will show up the same. And Mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, what I've seen is happening. And and then uh, you're just going to have a very cold culture. And uh, it's not a pleasant place to be. And that's the culture that I worked in most of my years. And that's why I'm now an advocate for not having that kind of working culture.
2: And this totally (laughs) connects to the loneliness at the top that you referenced at the top of this interview. Right? This totally, totally connects to why we have such an attrition problem right now in the talent space. And why it's so hard for people to keep their top talent right is because we're still coming home to this fact that we need to be humans as leaders but that's also something that impacts like you're saying with the loneliness piece right like there's no sustainability to that because that's going to impact everybody's mental health right like if you you don't have that safe space where people are feel that they can come and actually be real with one another
0: Yes, absolutely, Susan. And, and that's what I wanted to look into then. So when I. I basically converted my career from being a top executive into the running these confidential peer groups. And the first year, then in 2016-17, when I joined these meetings, I was listening for the leaders, and I could also feel that, oh my God, it's not only me who felt so lonely. It's not only me who, who had these feelings as a leader. This is common, and I realized, you know, that this was what what's on everyone's mind. So in 2019. I actually did a survey where I surveyed the executives inside the network to ask them about, you know, their loneliness, the mental health state and so on. And the foundings, uh was basically that it spoke to, for themselves. 30% of them felt isolated in the workplace. And here are the decision makers. So imagine the culture of these companies. If right. 30% of the executives are feeling isolated in their own company, right. they are leading.
2: I can't imagine it's <laughs> it's it's a pretty wake, right? Like in terms of the impact that that leader is having from that space and place of isolation. That obviously Absol- is going to impact the mental health of the people, right?
0: Yes, absolutely, Susan. So, so that is, you know, uh, was the first question then in the survey, and then uh, the follow up question was okay. So, if you're not feeling well, uh, is this something that you talk about? Uh, in your company with anyone it can be your boss your HR or what about your teams uh, and actually 84% are not talking to anyone in the company about it so that means they're keeping it to themselves
2: mm-hmm. what do you see buried in that stat <laughs>
0: Well, obviously, uh, just like myself, you know, that we are, we're dealing with it in different ways. And in my way, uh, for some extent, it was, you know, uh, trying to go through and treating it like an Ironman race, just push through it, you know. But if you don't vent this, eventually there's no finish line. So I didn't have any relief from it. And that led me to... Uh, you know, stop exercising, I lost weight, I was starting at eating bad food. And then before I knew it, I started to drink alcohol after work instead. And that became an addiction. And I was on a slippery slope where in uh, 2017 and early 2018, I had a complete uh, health crisis.
1: And how did you turn it around?
0: Well, I had to hit uh, rock button before I could turn around. Actually, it went so far that in April 2018, I couldn't see any way out of it. Uh, I started to write my will. I wrote my testament. I sent all my bank details and all my information to my ex-wife, because during this, I also went through divorce. I sent it to my parents, I sent it to my son, I sent it to everyone. Basically, I was cleaning up my act. and. I wasn't suicidal, but I couldn't at this stage break away from the alcohol addiction. And I looked at myself realizing that it, I don't have much longer to go. If I continue down this path, I'm gonna be gone soon. So, And I didn't want anyone to have to sort out this mess. Uh, so yeah, but back then I hit the rock bottom. And as they say, uh, I got the gift of desperation. I, I just had to turn things around. And, and the life-saving thing was that I met a lady who uh, I remarried and she's today my wife, and I told her how I felt, and this was the first time in my life I had spoken the truth about my feelings, and from there on, it all went upwards. It's
1: an incredible story.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, everyone asks me, you know, what was the turning point, and it was just by sharing to her how I felt, because when you share how you feel to anybody, it doesn't matter who it is, by just by speaking the words, you know i would say that half the problem is solved already of course when she heard this and she was in complete shock because we as people are, uh, humans are so good to hold it together and hiding it she had no idea uh, so when uh, when i was going out drinking with her she thought we were having a great time she thought i was enjoying myself she thought i deserved it i worked hard it's okay to go out and have a good time she didn't know that i felt empty inside she had no idea and uh, but then of course immediately said, Nick, let's go to a doctor to talk about that. And that's what we did. She joined me immediately. And because I was quite shy to tell the doctor what was going on, she was talking for half an hour, telling the doctor the full truth. And of course, the doctor took immediate action. And with that, also, I was introduced to an anonymous support group to deal with my alcohol addiction. So within 24 hours, I was in the room there and I shared my story with them. And in the room, I realized that there was 20, 25 others. And in this group was mainly senior executives themselves who gone through something similar before. And they were there, you know, uh, having broken away from the addiction three months ago, year, uh, three months ago, one year ago, 20 years ago, and sharing how grateful they were, how well they were today. And that's when I thought, okay, that's what I would copy then. And now I'm five years soon into my recovery and I never felt better. Incredible. It's amazing.
2: And it's,
1: yeah, it's wild, right? And, um, I've suffered with mental illness for a long time, 2011, um, a suicide attempt in 2013 and. I met Susan in 2019 and she might have been the first person that I felt actually saw me and I talk about it now and I say that the rock bottom it wasn't that movement for me that was like oh movie you know (laughs) Rocky Rising and all that stuff but it took the slog to find the support system to put all that in place. And that was really, and Susan seen it. It took me probably about two years since I met her to find the right therapist, the right medication, the right, all the pieces. And it is a journey in itself. But just like you, Nick, I feel the best I've ever felt. And I think that you're totally right, is having the power of support from people around you that you can be open about is is incredibly healing.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that, Rob. And indeed, it is the people we are surrounded by. And I often talk about we need two forms of network. We need a personal network and we need a professional network because we need a personal network to talk about the issues we're facing, perhaps outside of work, we need to have some close friends who we can be vulnerable with. But when it comes to professional network, uh, and that is what I'm working with now is that you need to have that safe space with other people who have similar jobs, who can understand you. So if you are a senior executive in a HR company, then you probably need to have your professional network in with the HR executives. Uh, The issue is that many have social network with other hr executives they might (laughs) go to the conferences they go to the exhibitions they are drinking wine together they're having a jolly time together they only share any good moments but are they getting vulnerable no that is the major issue with i would say networking and all of these uh, organizations so you need to really also have a professional body there and, and if you're an entrepreneur and a business owner then you need to have a I would say a confidential space where you can discuss the pressures the cash flow issues you're going through uh, because there's a lot of pressure there how to manage the boards reading uh, getting funding if you need uh, for your cash flow and so on and discuss that then with 20 other founders and working together that is where you get the relief and that is where the pressure comes off your shoulders.
2: And then how do you take that relief of pressure and then start to open up space in your working world in the context of your organization or the teams that you're leading so that you can actually then start to feel less isolated there?
0: Well, I think if you practice it as a leader first in a confidential space outside your workplace, and and it doesn't have to be the kind of peer groups we run, it can be a mastermind group, these are quite popular, they set up your own mastermind group with a couple of others who are in your kind of space. And you run that together, and you practice in there to discuss and become vulnerable, then you can, of course, take this across to your team. And I run uh, these kind of uh, uh, peer groups internally in my organization with my sales team, we have our own peer group, and we will meet uh, in person in December for four hours. We run, meet uh, every other month, two hours on Zoom together. Uh, but sometimes it's important also to meet together, and we take turns then. Uh, so in this four-hour session, there's typically one of the sales leaders who will go up and present. You know. Uh, uh, some major challenge this person have Uh, it can be in the discovery call with potential clients it can be in the closing it can be any part of the sales process that this person feels this is where i'm having some issues so they need to stand up there and present this and then all of us will help them work on this and and challenge it and support him so hopefully he will leave this session knowing that and having this feeling that okay, that was a bit painful, I was vulnerable, I shared what I'm having issues with, but everyone took it in the right way and helped me solve it. And that is, you know, if you then move on from this session, uh, then you can imagine the team environment after that, they will be open to each other and willing to help each other instead of judging and blaming.
1: I love that. And Nick, I'm just curious, um, do you see in your groups... Like, do you see mostly men or women or Mm -hmm. who's coming to the table with you? Mm -hmm.
0: So, uh, we are constantly striving for uh, having diversity. In fact, even on my bookshelf behind me here is a book uh, which I've wrote with the Swedish Chamber of Commerce on diversity and inclusion. So, Mm -hmm. I would love us to have 50% women and 50% uh, uh, men in the peer groups, but it's about 27% of our members are uh, women now, we're constantly working on getting more. It's also a little bit harder to get women to show up. I think they are uh, more loyal to, to the duties and showing up at work and being there for the boss and everyone around us. We men tend to be perhaps a little bit more, uh, 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 should I say, empowering our decisions to just go out and get it done. Uh, <laughs> <but maybe. laughs> That's at least what I see in general. But yeah, we're really trying to have both genders as much as possible in the meetings.
1: It's, it's really interesting, right, because Su- Susan has mostly men as, as clients, and I'm in a bunch of groups, I mean, like just as over the last few years as a participant, and I've been surrounded by mostly women. And so it's like, I, what I'm seeing is like the women are more in touch with the emotional intelligence and, and are getting into these locker rooms to learn that skill where men are not, but then men are, you're right, is men are taking the action to hire coaches to just perform better. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a really interesting, yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy.
0: Yeah, you got it there, Rob. And I think the way to get the men is yeah, if you're vulnerable, you're going to perform better, then you yeah, will yeah. be, be attractive. Yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, trust <laughs> me, we've been trying to make that case for some time, and that's definitely a case I laid down with the men that are in my queue. 100%. One of the things that I've noticed in my queue, speaking of which is because of all that we've seen shaken up, right, and dislodged from the foundations of our leadership strategies over the last three years of the pandemic, Um, because I think for sure a big byproduct of that has been a reality check in terms of the impact these 1.0-led cultures have, toxic work cultures have on people's mental health. Um, We're starting to see there's this new challenge arising in almost every leader's queue, right, in terms of trying to ascertain what level of involvement or even responsibility they have where they see their people struggling from a mental health perspective. So what are your thoughts on that, right? Because I think like this is relatively new space that's really opened up and this is becoming a requisite aspect of, of a leader's responsibility, right, is understanding how much they need to actually lean in especially if somebody's right isolating and trying to cope in that way that's very driven by self-preservation so what are your thoughts on that in terms of what is how does a leader navigate that in terms of understanding like how much involvement or engagement or intervention to have when they see it, uh, their people struggling on the mental health front
0: Yeah, that's a great question, Susan, and I also included a similar question in my survey in 2019, where I then asked the leaders, you know, so if you're not feeling well, and you're not talking about it in your company, will you seek professional help for it? And 75% said no, (laughs) (laughs) not a surprise, but it's quite scary, right? So that means that they're walking around not feeling well, and they're not seeking professional help with it. So we can imagine, and I would imagine, uh, that uh, also the teams are not seeking professional help due to the stigma uh, you know, associated with this. So you have all these people walking around, not feeling great, not asking for professional help for it. So the only thing you can do and you must do as a leader then is at least be open about it. And we come back to this, being vulnerable, talking about yourself. When you're not feeling well, share it with the team uh, because then uh, they will also feel okay to open up to you when they are not feeling okay. And then we're having this open environment. And uh, if I may, I can share a, a, a little story, which is true from one of the women I interviewed for my book uh, about her story. Please. So yeah, so what I did, uh, Susan, after the survey, I interviewed some of the executives who are in the book and most of them are anonymous um, for obvious reasons. So here is one senior executive a woman who's a managing director for a big international bank. Uh, on the outside, she had, has it everything she has two uh, two children in private schools who have their own nannies uh, car you know driver private gym memberships for everyone and really really uh, on top of her career everyone is looking up at her it looks like she yeah, she's living the dream life when i interviewed her the first time here for the book she she didn't say much she said yeah it's a little bit challenging now through the pandemic and so on but then a few days later, I received an SMS and she said, uh, can we meet again? So I went to see her over coffee and that's when she opened up to me, she started crying and she said, Nick, I rehearsed my own suicide twice. What should I do? And there I'm sitting, you know, and it's the first time this woman I've ever shared that with anybody. Um, uh, I let her cry, I let her speak, I let her listen, and then she promised me she would uh, see a psychologist immediately. She did that, the psychologist called in the husband, the three of them had a conversation about it, and that was her return to come back to life. Uh, But I'm sharing this story because it's included in my book as an anonymous story. And what happened then was that no one in her company knew this. Everyone thought you know her as a strong leader um, who was always hitting the targets and doing what, what was expected. But she got a copy of my book and gave to all her team members, including her boss, during the lockdowns and uh, asked them to read it. Then they had an all-hands meeting. And in that meeting, she raised her hand and said, by the way, the woman you read about in the bank industry, that's me. And, you know... Wow. And,
1: uh,
2: Can you imagine?
0: Can you imagine the (laughs) response from her team and and their culture changed overnight. So while you know in a bank, the traditional bank doors closed, they are open door policy. uh, You had staff immediately sharing. Oh, by the way, when I said I had a cold two weeks ago, you know I was going through something difficult. The boss came into her and said, "Well, I went through something similar a few years ago. Now my wife has this issue." So you know it all changed just by. That uh, and this is what we're talking about today. Uh, it's about being vulnerable, no matter if it is something as serious as this woman who gone through suicidal faults. But the fact that she shared it changed everything.
2: Literally be life saving. Never yeah. mind performance driving, right? But like at the bare baseline, like you just never know what that person's going through, you know, and where that person might actually need you in that moment, if you haven't created that vulnerable space or opening with your people. I want to talk about this from the other side of things, right, Rob? Like you you had some stats here in terms of how the level of loneliness in executives is, is on the rise, especially since the pandemic, right?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> well, I wanted to share these stats. It was a UBC report or study that came out uh, I think it was last week. and UBC champions uh, mental health for Men initiative called Heads Up Guys every November as part of November. And they put out a survey around with these statistics that are quite shocking. And basically, almost half of Canadian men meet the threshold for clinical depression, and one in three think about suicide or self-harm weekly. Um, 55% of Canadian men report feeling lonely, and 1 in 4, 25%, said they experienced psychological pain so severe it made them feel like they were falling apart. Oh. And this is the size of the problem. It's half of people. Wow. And that's where... and. Obviously, I know some of the folks who are listening are freaked out going, what would I do if, just like Nick's story, someone came up to me over coffee and said, I thought about killing myself today.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I know that freaks you out. And it literally, there is no answer to that question other than being there, supporting them and making sure that they get to a hospital doctor, psychologist support immediately, right? And it does, it is scary. And Susan knows because I had, I called her with basically a very similar concern, right? And you don't have to have the answers as the leader. You don't have to have the solve because you're not, psychologist you're not the psychiatrist you're not the doctor you're not that but if you open the space then those 55 percent of men don't share it with nobody
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that's the piece Mm -hmm. because if they share it with you that's the first step to them getting a psychologist a psychiatrist a doctor professional help which will help them Uh that's where the vulnerability starts and that's where we all need to be. And yes, that's for the mental health, but it's also like we've talked about, it's the performance also, right? Because vulnerability is not always, Hey, I'm going to kill myself. Sometimes it's, Hey, you know what? I made a mistake on this process or this process doesn't work, or I don't know how to talk to this customer, right? That feedback. And that's like safety you get there through vulnerability
2: Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's just a full circle moment right like in terms of all you need to do is just be present right like with empathy and compassion like everything you did for that woman in that moment right like you didn't say a word you were just really present with her and that's That's the solution in that moment. That's the support that they need in that moment is to just know that they're not alone with that because that's the danger zone, right? And that's why we're talking about loneliness being such a a huge issue that we really need to look at in leadership because where people feel alone with that type of experience, especially depression, then that's where, yeah, that's where it can be. your life can be in jeopardy. So it's not about having the exact right thing to say in that moment. It's just being that 2.0 human-centric leader. That's really what we're talking about.
1: And you know what? When I've been in those moments, I never wanted anyone to say anything.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, uh, Rob, that you say that. And and I can see that. uh, But... And by just having that connection, just being someone having a cup of coffee or just to be able to speak it out, um, yeah. as uncomfortable as it is, once you have said the first couple of words, then the it's almost like that Iron Man finish that, you know, the, the pain is over and it's just relieving or relie- moving away from you instantly. That's at least how I felt when I shared it with my wife, when I shared it with the doctor and when I was in that support group room with others who were going through something similar and i heard all of them sharing their stories their pains everyone was given 2-3 minutes each and when it came to me and i shared what i was going through walking out of that meeting it was it was like walking on clouds you know you feel you felt light again
1: mhm totally
2: But what are some tips that we can leave our leaders with today just in regards to this space, right? Like in terms of whether or not they're resonating with this themselves or they see somebody maybe on their leadership team that might be, you know, having some of the symptoms that we're describing in terms of the loneliness and the isolation. What are some tips that we can leave for our leaders today to really action on?
0: Well, I think, uh, Rob, you shared some Amazing statistics, scary statistics, and uh, I had similar, I shared in my survey, and I can just add on also that uh, in the major newspaper in 2021, it was similar findings. It showed that 76% of the respondents felt sad or depressed and 65% were feeling lonely. So that was during the pandemic. So let's face it. And this is the, the first, po- my first point there is let's all face it that we've gone through a very challenging time. We've been isolated. We've been remotely. We have been separated. And I think that is the first part of finding a solution is to understand this and admit this and be open about it. So if you as a leader are talking about this inside your company, say that this is what's out there. So if Mm -hmm. you are feeling lonely, Mm -hmm. this is perfectly fine. I'm feeling like this also. So by doing that, you sort of start fishing them into the conversation. I would say that's the first step. Just admit that this is the situations that out there. It's normal. Let's talk about it. And by the way, here are some feelings that I've gone through uh, or during this time. And by the way, my daughter had this, my wife had this. You also show that your family is, is a bit vulnerable then you will see that the others will start to open up. And that's the start of having a more open culture. That's that's what I would say. And if I had one last thing to share, it is about what you did, Rob, you start to speak up and sharing it and what I did when I shared it with my wife. So if so, anyone of the listener has something on their mind, some pain, some isolation, feelings, or even thoughts of suicide, don't hold it to yourself. Just think of who, doesn't matter really who it is. Can you see for a coffee or a phone call or, an anonymous hotline uh, and just speak up.
1: <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you. And we always love to end on this question because oh, yeah. it's our favorite question as part of the show. What do you want your legacy to be?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The big one, you know, and looking at Susan there behind her, the purpose driven mission. It was basically my uh, last uh, chapter of my book I wrote on executive loneliness, and it's about uh, giving back. You know, the gift I was given uh, when I came into the rooms of recovery in 2018 is something that I want to give back for the rest of my life. I'm a volunteer today for an anonymous organization for other people who fall into alcohol addiction. I'm also a, a volunteer and fundraiser for suicide hotline here. So it's about giving back the gift that I was given to me. And that is what I want to be seen for that is what i want to be known for. I am trying to be up every morning to do some support for my local charities around there's so many people who need help. Uh, so that is my legacy right there if i can just help others to go through when they have a difficult time
1: that's incredible Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that's amazing nick and we obviously we love both of those causes and nick we we want to give you a time here where can folks find more about you follow you and get your book
0: Well, I'm quite active on LinkedIn, so they can look me up there, Nick Johnson, N-I-C-K-J-O-N-S-S-O-N. Uh, otherwise, on Amazon, they can find my book, Executive Loneliness. Uh, it's up there on Amazon as uh, a bestseller. Uh, due to request, also for many executives who don't have time to read today, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's an Audible with a professional narrator. So, yeah, that's the <laughs> options. Thanks.
1: Perfect. Yeah, we'll drop. Obviously, we'll drop Nick's LinkedIn and the link to the book in the podcast notes. You can check it out there. Uh, I was gonna say, like Nick, you you're you got the professional microphone. You should have got on the narration.
2: No, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, with the sure mic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for us, obviously. Um, Yeah, obviously hit subscribe to Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform. We're now available on Amazon Music as well as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and more. And for all leadership development, mindset, high performance, coaching, psych safety, DEI feedback, and more, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com there. Susan, is there anything you want folks to take away from this conversation?
2: I just love the through line between the three of us, right? Like turning that pain into purpose. And I just think, gosh, what an important message today. That's why we created locker rooms in the pandemic, Rob and I. We had that same intuitive call, right? Like people are going into the bunker. They're going into isolation. We still use isolation to torture some people in some parts of the planet (laughs) still. (laughs) So I mean, that was so, so, so evident to us that now really is the time more than ever for us to be curating these safe spaces so that people will really ensure that they never feel alone with whatever the adversity is that's showing up in their lane. Because as we're here to stand and use our voices towards today, like that adversity, especially when you have the safe space to work through it, is always just an opportunity for growth dressed up and disguised as adversity. So I love this interview. It totally, totally is in alignment with everything we're on a mission to do here with our locker rooms as we try to change the way this game of life and business is being played forever.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. And for me, I mean, first off, Nick, it's it was incredible to have you on. It was an incredible share that you did with us. And... and I have a quote here from Simon Sinek, and he says, leaders are the ones who have the courage to go first, to put themselves at personal risk, to open a path for others to follow. And that's what Nick's story, my story, Susan's story, all is. Nobody has to start off telling your story on a stage or on a mic, but you can hear our stories and share your story with someone near you mm-hmm. and open the space for them to open back up to you and then see how that feels, see how that changes you. And who knows, you may have eventually have an experience like I did when I was in Australia this summer and I told my story and a woman came up to me at the end and said, she attempted suicide three times because of the asshole bosses that she had. And that is the reason why I do what I do and the reason why Nick and Susan do what they do as well. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us. I hope, I hope this one wasn't too heavy for all of you. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Rob and Susan. Been great. Thank
2: you. Everybody.
1: Thanks so much for listening. And we'll see you all next week.
2: Bye everyone.